morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Sir Meerkat, and welcome back to the Moto Meerkat channel, and welcome to another episode of the Chatterbox podcast. Now, obviously, we say in every episode that the guests we have on are very special, but today we are in for a serious, serious treat. I'm super excited to chat today with a man who has raced in Formula One, has raced at the Le Mans at 24 hours, and has even won the Indy 500 in his first attempt. Absolutely crazy, but please welcome Alexander Rossi. How are you doing today, my friend? Fantastic, man. How are you doing? Awesome. Awesome, mate. I'm doing very, very well. As I said before we started recording, it looks very sunny where you are right now. Where are you, sir? Very sunny. I'm outside uh, Daytona International Raceway in Florida. Um, 24 hours Daytona, kind of the the week of practice uh, starts kind of tomorrow. So I um, just had an IndyCar test yesterday in the middle of Florida. Hence why I'm sitting in a car in a parking mm -hmm. lot um, talking yeah. to you. So apologies for my background, but uh, here we are. <laughs> that's all right, mate. That's all right, mate. Daytona is a very cool background, definitely better than this room. So that's no worries Fair at enough. all. But um, it's amazing to have you here today. Uh, first driver I've actually had on Chatterbox. So we started off very good. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get much better than Alexander Rossi, but <laughs> well, we'll have to wait and see, maybe at some point. But as you said, you had your IndyCar test yesterday. How did that go? Yeah, it was good. I mean, obviously, um, 2020 was a was a strange year for for us yeah. in in every aspect of life, mm -hmm. uh, motorsports uh, notwithstanding. So, it was just good to to get back in the car, get back to work with the team. Um, you know, it's kind of a condensed off season for us just because the calendars all got shifted around last year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a good day. Um, we have another IndyCar test actually right after Daytona. The, to 24. So um, I'm spending a couple of weeks down here in Florida, which is better than um, snowy Indianapolis and probably better than rainy England. Uh, but yeah, man, it's just great to be back in the car and, and getting back to work. Very nice. Yeah, very nice. Definitely better than rainy England. Are you uh, optimistic for, for 2021 then? For sure. I mean, it's. Uh, I think there was a lot of good things that came at the end of last year. We weren't able to really capitalize on it ultimately um but yeah i mean the, the, the car speed was back and um the team was kind of, of of clicking again for whatever reason we just we just didn't didn't do a good job at the, at the beginning of 2020 we had some things kind of not go our way we we didn't even start um three of the races just because of mechanical problems so i think that Difficult, from man. there kind of put us on our back foot and we we lost our way just with trying to make it all up and and mm -hmm. Single events, right? Instead of just doing what we know yeah. how to do, so gotcha. it's uh, something that happens. Um, but ultimately, you know, the the twenty seven Andretti Autosport Honda team is still the same group of guys, and um, we we had a very successful test yesterday, so we're back back to it and ready to put last year behind us. Awesome, sweet. I mean, I look forward to to seeing you on track. Very excited, very excited. But let's have a little natter today, just like all about yourself, really. So we'll go back to properly the start of your career so same as most people that that do motor racing you started out with carts now how did that actually come about did your mum or dad just sort of put you in a car and go there you go son have some fun or how did that kind of come about where you started racing in general so my i i had no like my family has no motorsports background um my dad was just a, a big fan of racing he went to races with his father when he was younger and so it kind of became from the age of three, like our, our father son yearly trip was we'd go to, to um, actually IndyCar races in, in Northern California. And um, 
for my 10th birthday, he got me a, a three-day go-kart school, um, which was supposed to be kind of a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and it was sold yeah. to my mother that way. And at the end of it, I was like, this is the best, best thing in the world. I love it. And uh, the coach was like, oh, he's, he's, he's all right. Like you should consider like taking him racing. And my dad was like, okay, sure. Like you're just trying to sell me a go-kart type thing. <laughs> and so yeah. we kind of left, left it. And, you know, I was just pestering him for, for a whole year. And finally, um, when I was 11, we kind of dipped our toes into the water with a, with an arrive and drive cart program. So Right. Um, I could go racing, but you didn't have the full commitment of buying buying yeah, go karts yeah, yeah. and, and the trailers and all that. And uh, we we won that championship, kind of oddly. And and so then my dad was like, "Oh, maybe we should actually pursue that." And and the rest is history. So started full time karting when I was twelve, and then uh, that was pretty short lived. I got in a race car when I was fourteen, and yeah. Um, yeah. so it was a, a short kart career for the most part. But um, I think ultimately most of the skills you need to drive race cars, you acquire in race cars anyways. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But finally, uh, you finally managed to get in. And then when you're winning, that's what finally convinced your mum to allow you to, to go racing. That's, so that's the thing. Cool. It was, it was, it was winning. And like, as long as I was still doing school, like it was, yeah. it was okay with her. So as you've got a good balance of both, yeah, then you can finally yeah. please the mothers. Yeah, no, I understand that. I understand that. But as you say, yeah, the karting career wasn't particularly long, jumped into, into cars pretty early on. And throughout your sort of junior career, moving up the motorsports ladder, what series would you say did you have sort of the most fun or what did you have the best racing, the most pure racing in, do you think? Um, I mean, it's IndyCar, honestly, but like in, oh, really? in the junior levels, I, in the junior levels, probably, probably Formula Master, which was a series that was only around for a little bit of time and, and it, quick, it kind of transitioned into what GP3 is or what F3 okay. is now, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was kind of the same cars. The only difference was we didn't race with formula one just to try and keep the cost down. But, um, that was, that was kind of the last level that I felt in, in Europe where politics and and the business side of things didn't really play an effect. It was, it was just guys who wanted to compete and win races and, and that was really it. So, um, kind of from that point forward, it became a lot more, I don't want to say serious, but, but intense, um, from the the business side of things and and that always detracts a little bit from from the joy of it all yeah exactly that's why i'd kind of assumed that maybe you'd enjoy a lower tier motorsport a bit more because you kind of have that that pureness as you say the lack of business element of it but you said there that you oh well that uh, indycar was maybe the more exciting and pure racing why is it that you actually think indycar is more exciting than any of those junior categories that you did well, because it's it's kind of the same thing that I just explained, but like with real race cars that go two hundred and forty miles an hour, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, but it, it it has that grassroots feel to it that that um, that element of just people who are there because they love competing, they love winning, and yes, you know, budget always plays a factor, but I mean, compared to Europe, like it's it's relatively small. So um, you've got teams up and down the grid that can win races every weekend. And uh, yeah, that, that part of it is, is kind of what I fell in love with when I did my first race in IndyCar and, and why I feel so fortunate uh, to be in the series. Yeah, no, no, that's awesome. No, fully get that IndyCar is such an incredibly fun series. And we will definitely talk a little bit more about that 
in just a few minutes. But first, he will carry on with sort of the junior career. So um, after that, you you competed in a thing called Formula BMW across Europe and the US, winning the US series, and then also winning the Formula BMW World Final, which meant that you then managed to secure a test with BMW Sauber F1 team at Jerez in 2009. I was hoping you could sort of just talk us through that whole experience and what it felt for the first time to get into a Formula One car. That was, I mean, I still can't believe that they allowed guys that win a Formula BMW championship or they allowed Seems guys a bit mental, that won a Formula yeah. BMW championship <laughs> to like get in an F1 car. But um, it was awesome that they did that. And, and it showed kind of BMW Motorsports support for F- Formula BMW and the investment that they were putting in to try and help develop young drivers. Um, exactly, exactly. But it was I mean, it was crazy. I, I mean, the, the biggest thing, honestly, was was the braking. So that's what everyone um, says, yeah. It's what everyone says, right? Yeah. And and I was so adamant because, like, that's all I had heard for a year. <laughs> that's all I had heard in the meetings and the days and on yeah. the track walk leading up to it. But I was like, I'm not going to be that guy that breaks for turn one so early that, like, you have to accelerate up to the corner. Well, what do I do? I, I sure enough, lock it up and go straight on. So I guess, I guess I failed in a different, in a different respect, but (laughs) I mean, just, it was, it was also just the magnitude of, of the team and then just the quality of the car. Like it, it felt like you were driving on glass and and really that's the only car I've ever experienced where it kind of feels that way. Um, Just because really for the most part, it's, it's, no expenses barred um, to, to build those race cars. So mm-hmm. what you're getting, the end product is so refined and and um, so phenomenal that it's very hard for a spec car in series to compete with that. Um, but in, in a lot of ways, I was actually reading a quote from, from Kevin Magnuson, who had his first uh, DPI test yesterday. And he was like, it was so nice to get back into a raw, kind of analog race car because an F1 car just isn't that. So um, it's, it's funny what you take for granted being on, on each side of it. Right. You know, there's days where I'm like, man, I really miss F1 cars. And then, you know, hearing that from Kevin, it's like, Oh, well, what we're doing still, still pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Any sort of motorsports is awesome, but yeah, I guess F1's just kind of like that different breed, isn't it? That crazy top level thing but yeah 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 so you had that test in with bmw sauber and then it was a little bit later on where you're able to then get back into uh, an f1 car you obviously became the caterham test slash reserve driver and you uh raced for caterham not the f1 team but kind of like for their branded teams in formula Renault 3.5 gp2 and then from 2011 to 2014 Caterham kind of kept you on the back burner a little bit. And then you ended up moving from Caterham to Marussia Manor. So I kind of wanted to ask, how was that Caterham relationship made? And then how come they didn't end up putting you in an F1 car? And why did you then end up deciding to move over to uh, Marussia Manor? That's a that's a loaded question. Um, yeah. First of all, I'm, move, I'm moving because I'm leading in a, my RV into a, a spot, but I'm I'm still oh. here, so don't worry. Um, gotcha. okay. So I I I became a part of Caterham through what was called the Air Asia Team Lotus Driver Development Program, and that was I mean that was before it was Caterham. It was it was called Team Lotus at the time, and um, Tony Fernandez owned that race team and also owned the Malaysian airline Air Asia, and and they 
we're looking to to create a driver program that kind of um, emulated that of of the Renault Driver Academy, the, the Ferrari Driver Academy, and, and all that sort of yeah. thing. So I kind of got um, brought into that through Alex Young, who was an ex um, Formula One driver. And they, from that point, kind of helped support my career through 2011 uh, when I was racing World Series by Renault. And then they actually had their own World Series team in 2012 in partnership with Arden. And um, that was, quite frankly, a disaster. So I left, I left a team that I had you know, built a really good relationship with, finished third in the championship as a rookie, and kind of went to a new team and it was, it started out tough just cause it was, it was all new for them. Um, it ended up, we ended up getting pretty competitive, but you know, we lost so much at, at the beginning of the year that we were really never able to recover from it. And the frustrating thing is the car that I left is the one that ended up winning the championship. So um, not <laughs> saying that I would have necessarily done that, but it's just yeah. the, the team was just operating. At I'm, that sure level. So it, I'm sure you would have done I'm sure you would have done it was difficult to, uh, to watch, to watch it be successful after I was just there. Um, so then, you know, that, that was kind of fine and and they realized that. And so at the time, um, there, they were, I think just getting into GP2 or they kind of had a partnership with the GP2 team, but nevertheless, 2013 moved to GP2. Um, and you know, they were, they were kind of a a mid-pack team and it wasn't until, um, kind of the end of the year where we found our stride and started to, to, we actually want to race the, the season finale in Abu Dhabi. Um, and so everything was good. We thought 2014 was going to be this great year. We were fantastic in, in kind of preseason testing. Um, actually I'm forgetting something. So 2013, actually, I was supposed to move up to formula one after the year that we had had, um, in 13. There was, you know, always, you know, there's always the conversation in F1 about budgets and, and all this stuff. And quite frankly, I never came. I mean, we, it was my, my dad and I still, I never came from, yeah. from kind of huge family money. Uh, my dad is a landscape contractor by trade. So um, that was really never on the table for us to just be able to write checks for, for millions of dollars. And um Guido Vandergaard and Charles Pick were kind of in a little bit of a different situation. So they ended up being being the race drivers um in 2014 which i was content with because they were i was still going to be the reserve driver and i was going to have another year in gp2 and like i said at the end of 2013 we kind of found our stride and everything was going well yeah well preseason testing happened you know we're, we're competitive um we uh i think we led two of the four days or something like that and then there was a complete ownership change and personnel change and everything and we go to the first race and uh, like we're last me and my teammate um who were uh, i think it was sergio canamasas maybe i I get the years run together but anyways it went it went sideways really quickly Mm. and actually at the same time um that like i mentioned the the ownership with the f1 team changed and the new ownership really wasn't interested in me being a part of that program, regardless of contracts or regardless of commitments and regardless of the fact that I was supposed to be in the F1 car anyways. And I was yeah. already kind of getting a consolation prize, if you will. So 
that that relationship unraveled very quickly. But I need to, to clarify that it wasn't the relationship that I had had since 2011. It was a whole yeah. new group of people. Gotcha. Um, and so that was kind of my first pretty bitter, bitter taste of, of Formula One. Um, and then I was I was kind of very lucky because I, I developed, you know, relationships in the paddock during my time there and was um, able to once I kind of left slash got fired from Caterham, was able to immediately kind of move over to, to Marussia and kind of start my relationship with them and um, immediately became their, their reserve driver. And um, I think everyone is, is aware of that kind of incident that happened in August, um, which was kind of two, a month and a half, two months after I had signed the deal with Marussia where they announced me last minute to compete in the, in the spa Frankershaw Grand Prix, the Belgian Grand Prix, right. um, in replace of, of Max Chilton. Mm-hmm. And so I went through the whole process that Thursday of, of doing all the media requirements and um, evaluations and stayed at the track till 2 a.m. with the engineers getting everything right and do free practice one Friday morning, get out of the car, and they're like, you're done for the weekend. Max is back in the car for oh. free practice two. Okay. So that was my kind of second, second bitter taste of of F1. I mean, I I understood it because ultimately it it was my role to fill in if, if for whatever reason, another driver couldn't, but to go through that whole process um, was obviously heartbreaking. And then fast forward through uh, 2014 and we had Jules's incident in Suzuka, um, which really kind of derailed that whole organization for good reason jules was was kind of the heart and soul of that team and um excuse me had a either had an incoming facetime there so jules was the uh the heart and soul of, of that organization and he was in a, in a state where we didn't really know um what what was gonna what what his life was gonna be like and yeah. so immediately after suzuka was the russian grand prix and so they kind of, we all left Suzuka kind of not knowing what to think or what to say. We go to Russia and they were like, okay, you're going to be on standby. Um, you know, obviously Jules won't be in the car. Um, so it kind of goes through that whole process again of, of you know, getting mentally ready yeah. um, to, to fill in. And then we made the decision out of, out of respect for Jules and his family to only run one car that weekend, which ultimately I'm, I'm very glad that we did. It was yeah. the right decision. Um, it was just too quick. It, it was, Definitely. there wasn't enough time uh, between. So we fast forward um, and we kind of, the team financially is, is in a difficult spot because um, you know, that they were a Ferrari supported team through Jules Um and they were always kind of a, a team that was on a, on a shoestring budget. And, and like I said, their, their whole world was, was rocked um, in, in Suzuka. So Austin and, and the U S Grand Prix was going to be, was a question mark. And we were like, we're going to try and go. And um, you know, ultimately that's going to be your debut and, and that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So go kind of through the whole process again, go out to, come back to the States, um, get myself ready to do that. And, and, you know, the Bianchi family was, was good with that. And, and everyone felt good about, about that car kind of returning to the track. Cause you know, we felt that enough time had, had passed. 
Yeah, you do uh, to, to, yeah. To, to pay respect to Jules. Yeah. yeah. So I'm in Austin and get the phone call on the Tuesday saying the team are not going. So ah. kind of go on that that roller coaster again um, to to find out that I'm not I'm not I'm not making my Grand Prix debut. Okay. So I'm at the track and I kind of, uh, you know, go through the motions and, 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 um, you know, just try and represent the team as best as I can for any of the partners or whatever that they were already going to go there and be there. And so that was kind of the, the end of it or, or so I thought, and I was kind of quite frankly over Europe, not because of anything that, that, that Manor had done, um, just over, over all of it, um, that I kind of experienced since 2009, and, you know, we didn't really have any prospects for, for 2015. And so I started talking to IndyCar teams and um, was really close to, to signing with, um, and it, well, sorry, I'm, I'm forgetting one more thing. So the, the final nail in the coffin for me was I was packing up my life in, in England. Um, I, hadn't, I didn't have a deal in the States yet, but I knew that I needed to, to move back to the course, U.S. Yeah, yeah. in England for months not thinking that I was going to race in Europe and I got a phone call on a Monday morning my flight was Monday evening to the states Wow! and uh, I got a phone call from the the team principal at at Manor um, or Marussia whatever it was at the time I think it was Manor this and uh, he was like we're going to Abu Dhabi we've got funding we're gonna go I said okay and he said and you'd be at the airport by 10 p.m. I said, yes. Yeah, you don't okay. say no to that. <laughs> right. Of course. Yes, of course I can. Well, keep in mind that you lose six hours or whatever. And oh, yeah, it's an eight-hour flight or whatever. So, And I need to be there Wednesday morning. Um, so I immediately kind of get a friend that lived near me to get all of my stuff and take it to their house. And I just packed a bag for the week, mm-hmm. get on a plane and they say, wait, wait, because we don't want you to get on it if this isn't going to happen. So just wait. Okay. Well, it's like an hour and a half before, you know, the plane's going to start boarding and I need to like check in and, and do all that. And uh, they're like, okay, we don't know yet. It's, it looks 99%. Like everything's good to go. Um, you know, we've got all the crew back. We've got flights booked. The cars are prepped. It's just a matter of getting them on a, on a plane to get to get to, to get to Abu Dhabi. Okay. Well, get a, get on the airplane. Um, and by the time I landed in Abu Dhabi, they weren't going. So this was again, like the whole emotional ro- roller coaster oh, of making my F1 debut. So now fast forward to kind of what I was saying three yeah, minutes yeah. ago, it's like, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm over it. Like, I just want to, I just want to go race. Like this is, this is ridiculous. Yeah, so yeah. um, really close to signing with a, with an IndyCar team, Dale coin racing um, for, for 2015. And out of the blue, I get a phone call from racing engineering, which was a, a, a very strong GP2 team, you know, in their time, they were, you know, kind of with ART and dams and, and um, I had always had a relationship with, with the, the, the man and woman who who ran that team and they were like we've got funding we would only need you to bring a little bit like do you think you can make it happen and this this phone call came in like january and testing started in, in february and i was like yeah. i can probably make that happen and like give us a couple of weeks and sure enough you know it, it it was it was 
a green light. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to give this one final hurrah. I'm finally going to be with the GP2 team that is competitive. Can we, we can challenge, like, we'll give this a shot. So, um, 2015 starts and, you know, I still had my relationship with, with, with manner. Um, there was no bad blood there. It was just a, a wild ride for, for that whole organization, um, through those months. And we you know our relationships got stronger and better throughout it. And um, the uh, um, season, Jeep Deuce season went well. I was, you know, in the hunt for race wins. We won three races kind of on the podium. We were there, thereabouts for the championship. Um, ended up ultimately finishing second in the championship. But the big thing was I got my finally F1 debut in Singapore. <laughs> that year um, and, and replaced Roberto Miri um, for kind of the, the final five rounds of that. So starting in Singapore and then Suzuka, Austin, Mexico, and, and uh, Brazil. And so, you know, we finished out the GP2 season, was able to finish out uh, most of the F1 season, except for, for Abu Dhabi, because there was a, a conflict and um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Everything I kind of met their performance targets of, of beating my, my teammate, who was Will Stevens at the time, um, in, in both qualifying and racing. We didn't ride any cars off, and considering we were in year-old equipment, it was okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we matched the team's best finish um, of, of, of the year in, in Austin in the wet, and, and quite yeah. frankly, we were in the position to be in the points. Um, but we, we missed a strategy call when we transitioned to, to dry tires, but anyways, it was, it was good. Everything that we could have done and, and hoped for we got, um, and there was a deal done to, to, to go race in F1 in 2016 and life was good. So, um, kind of went home for Christmas and, and got back to, to England in January and, um, you know, started training and testing was going to start in, in Hareth and middle or end of February and got a call that said they were gonna, they were, they, they were going to go a different direction because they needed some help, some support financially. And, um, that year the drivers were, um, Pascal Werlein, who was a Mercedes junior driver and, and they had Mercedes support at this point. And it was an awesome car with, with a Mercedes power unit, obviously. And then the other driver was Rio Harianto. And I was, that was it. So um, where my kind of lucky break came or if you want to call it luck or, or God's plan or whatever, um, I got a phone call literally within five days of that completely coincidentally from Michael Andretti saying we have a fourth car that we're entering that we've never had before because they were always predominantly a three car team, Yeah, but they weren't. The, with a with a smaller team, which is Brian Hurd Autosport, we have a fourth car. Would you be interested? We know that your your F one deal kind of is fizzling out, and I was like, sure enough, Michael, I I would be. And he was like, okay. So I flew that that week to uh, Indianapolis, signed the deal, was testing in Florida, like eight days later, um, and four races later in my first super speedway race, we somehow won the Indy 500 and, and now here we are in 2021. So that's the, that's the long and short of it. Wow. What a story, man. That's incredible. Cause yeah, I would have said um, driver with 
such incredible talent. When you look at the records, you can just like five races. Like, what happened? But actually listening to that story, to even get one race there seemed quite lucky. You seem to be yeah, very unlucky with your being able to start a race. It never really seemed to quite happen, but no, finally I got feel, out there. Sorry, you go, sure. I, I feel like there's a little bit of unfinished business because like, you know, you want to do it, right? Ultimately, no, absolutely <laughs> I feel so lucky to, to say I, I, I made a Formula One race start, five of them, got to race as an American at my home race, which, you know, very few get to do just because there's so few Americans and there hadn't been an, an American F1 race for, for quite a span of time. Mm-hmm. So I feel so, so blessed to have had that opportunity. And then to, to be where I am now, I've never been happier in my racing career. So quite frankly, it all worked out just fine. Yeah, fair enough. No, that's good. Very positive to take from that. And um, as you said, then you got out of Formula One, went into IndyCar, and then the first year you win the Indy 500. Can you talk us through that race give us sort of an overview of what happened for anyone that might not know and then also that feeling when you passed the checkered flag and realized oh my god i've just won the indy 500 yeah um so that i mean i really shouldn't have won that race to be quite honest with you you know we were were pretty good we we qualified qualified 11th for a rookie like that was pretty strong um we had days where we were kind of in the top five in the speed charts and I was happy with that. Like I was just trying to start my first 500 mile race, my first race on the super speedway, my second ever on a noble and just finish. And that so, is insane. Right. It's crazy. So <laughs> I pro expectation to win that race. No one did. Um, and so, you know, through the first 60, 70 laps, we were kind of like in seventh or eighth. And I was like, man, we could, we could probably get a top five out of this thing if we just play our cards. Right. And so, the, the race kind of progressed and like we were in the top five and like we were with the leaders to a certain extent. I was like, okay, like this is going really well. Like, I hope this all stays as it is. And then we had um, a pit stop where we couldn't get the fuel probe in. Mm-hmm. And so, and it was actually under yellow. So I lost 20 something spots in pit lane, went all the way to the back. But at this point we weren't quite to halfway yet. And I was like, okay, I mean, there's still half the race left. And, and my strategist and, and car owner, Brian Herta, who had won um, as, a, as, a, as a team owner of 500 already with Dan Weldon, you know, he was like, yeah, well, we're still in this. Like, let's just get your head down and, and get back going. And we were quick enough to, like, get ourselves back to, like, 10th. I was like, man, we still got 60 laps left and we're back to 10th. Like, let's, let's give it a crack. And uh, came in for a pit stop again. Same thing happened. And at this point, like I was almost in tears because it was like, I'm not, I'm not thinking I'm going to win, but like you have that small taste of being at the front and now it gets taken away from you twice. And it's just like, that's, that's, that's heartbreaking. I remember hearing your team radio just being like, what, what's going on? Right. So Ryan was like, well, we're not really good at pit stops. So we're just going to skip one. Fair enough. (laughs) And so he came up with this strategy where we were just going to not do the final pit stop. And we just had to stretch. We just had to stretch the mileage. And, and the crazy part about it was it was a number that like the farthest anyone had gone on a, on a, on a tank before was like 30, 31 laps. And we needed to go 36 laps. So five laps. So, I mean, that's 
12 and a half miles at 230 miles an hour. Like that's, that's a you would think impossible. Yeah. Completely impossible. Yeah. And so he gave me this fuel number that I needed to hit. And I was like, there's no, there's no chance. Like I was 15, 10% away from it. And then I actually made a mistake in turn two and like almost crashed, but didn't. And I came across the line and the fuel number was what it needed to be. And I was like, okay. So I just kind of kept duplicating that without almost crashing. And I was able to hit the number. And so here's the thing. So we knew, we always knew that we were going to run out of gas on the last lap. Like that was just given. It was just a matter of when and would we be coasting down from a high enough speed to make it across? And would we have a big enough gap on place to actually pull it off well sure enough we start the final lap in the lead and had a had a 17 second lead and the car started kind of coughing through turn two which at this point you still have got like almost two miles to go oh my goodness Uh, that must be terrifying (laughs) it was like just go full throttle and just try and get to as high a speed as possible to coast down from yeah okay accelerate all the way down the back straight and then in turn three engine off and so at this point, it's just pull the clutch and you just start rolling. Right. And like from to start finish is like, is a mile, I'd say. And, but I mean, you're traveling at 230 miles an hour. So it's, it's gonna, you're gonna finish it pretty quickly. Well, we started the lap with a 17 second lead and ended with like a four second lead. So it, it was as close as it could have been. And we crossed the line 120 odd miles an hour. So hundred miles an hour slower than we should have been. Right. Um, but ultimately when the hundreds are in them, the Indianapolis 500. So that was a, a wild day. Couldn't believe I won. Um, couldn't believe I won for like weeks after that. And, um, but it's, it's, it's amazing because it, it allowed me to kind of build this relationship with Andretti Autosport with Honda and with Napa Auto Parts, who's, who's my primary partner now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, we've built a, a really strong team and, and now we're fighting for the 500 every year. And, uh, you know, barring last year, you know, we've been in the championship hunt ever since. So, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool how it all worked out. Yeah. 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 No, honestly, like people wouldn't believe that story if it wasn't filmed. It's so crazy. Like, wow. What a, what a race to win, but incredible story there from, uh, from Alexander Rossi. Thank you for that. And yeah, as you say, Napa, your, your, your sponsor, I've seen the, the new, uh, livery that you posted on Instagram for next year. It looks beautiful, mate. I love it. I'm looking forward to seeing that go around the track. So but. yeah, like it, uh, it, it's, it's very cool. They'd never been involved in IndyCar before. And, uh, we, we brought a new name brand company to the sport. So it's, it's always a good thing. Awesome. Always a good thing to bring, uh, yeah, more money in sports keeps us going. We get to watch more racing. So perfect. But, uh, yeah, that's all for my asking of you today, sir. But I do have a couple of fan questions that people have submitted, sure. if you wouldn't mind uh, answering those as well. So we shall get into those. So at Vehicle Valhalla on Twitter asks, what was the most surprising difference between racing in F1 compared to IndyCar? Um, well, I mean, the, the biggest thing is like you can win. You know, in F1, right. you're, you're only going to win if you're in one of two cars. So four cars, maybe. Um, maybe just two now, yeah. <laughs> yeah let's be honest. So it's, uh, that, that's the biggest thing is, is you know, when you're, when you're in the off season, when you're leading into race weekends and you're training, you're preparing, like it's hard to keep 
the motivation to the level it needs to be when you know you're going to finish 16th if everything goes perfectly, right? So to to be able to come to a series and know you can get back to the podium and winning races, you know, that's the biggest difference. You know, when you talk about the cars, you know, Formula One cars are the pinnacle of technology and motorsports, and they're awesome. I mean, they're they're phenomenal pieces of equipment. They're also astronomically expensive, and it's not a competitive championship because of because of that reason. So there's a lot of, of, of pros and cons to both. I'll be honest with you. Um, Indy cars are, are relatively antiquated compared to a, to an F1 car. Um, but they're a whole hell of a lot of fun to drive and, um, the racing's close. And, and like I said, you can, you can go compete for wins. Exactly. Exactly. No, fantastic answer. No, Indy cars look so much fun to drive. I can definitely say that. Um, I'm very jealous of you, sir. Very jealous. Um, at Josh Revel YT on Twitter and at Triple Crown Racing on Instagram asked, is a return to Bathurst on the cards anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, yes, but in a very different um, capacity, not capacity, but it, I'm going to do it differently than the first time because it was an okay. absolute disaster. Um, I was way over my head trying to learn a V8 supercar and Mount Panorama in two days. Um, so <laughs> I... I, I told I told uh, Michael Andretti, who is a co-owner of Walkinshaw Andretti United, the V8 team. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I will do it again, but I have to do the 12 hours of Bathurst in a GT3 car first. So right. I want to be able to learn the track in a car that's more similar to what I'm used to. You know, you can left foot brake, it's got arrow, paddle shifting, all that sort of thing. So that when I go back to Bathurst, I'm purely trying to learn a car and not the track as well. Okay, okay. Uh, so. I will be back when that is. I don't know, but I, I will definitely go back. All right, cool. Good plan. Good plan. We look forward to it. Look forward yeah. to it. And the final question was from Reese Mackinson on Twitter. He asked, what is your favorite takeaway? But I'm going to slightly change that up and ask you, if you're on death row, what would your final meal be? So a starter, a main course, and a dessert. What are you thinking? Wow. Okay. Um <clears throat> A starter, main course, and dessert. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm not thinking. I can't think of starters right now. I'll come back to that. So okay, main okay, course would be some sort of like cream-based lobster pasta dish. Right. Okay. Fancy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be lobster. It could be like seafood, but I don't. I don't okay. Care. Okay. Um, dessert would 100% be like apple pie. Ooh. It's very American to me, I know. Yeah, very, very. Um, and a starter, you know what? I just had it two nights ago, and um, this is going to blow everyone that listens to this mind. Alligator tail. Whoa. It's, it's really good. Like it tastes, I mean, it's, it's basically like fried chicken, but it was awesome. So I'm gonna I, do have, that. I'm gonna do I have had alligator tail before, and okay. I can confirm it's very nice. Right. So, so alligator tail. A lobster pasta dish and apple pie. An apple pie. What a choice. That was a serious spread there for the death row meal, but amazing, mate. Well, thank you very much for uh, for chatting with me today. It's been an absolute honour to speak to you. And obviously, I wish you all the best with your future racing endeavours, particularly IndyCar this year. I'll be watching watching you very intently. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to say before we go to the fans out there? Uh, just thank you to all the fans who stuck with us, all of racing and sports in general, through this chaos of uh, this past almost 12 months since March. So uh, yeah. it's been it's been crazy for everyone. And um, hang in there. Stay safe. And uh, we hope to see you all at a racetrack very, very soon.
Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Lovely little message there. Thank you, sir. But um, yeah, that is all. Thank you, everyone, for watching or listening, whichever you're doing, of uh, this episode of the Chatterbox podcast. If you did enjoy, be sure to drop a like down below if you enjoyed it and subscribe to the Moto Meerkat channel as well for lots more future episodes. But otherwise, thank you again so much for watching and I will see all of you Meerkats later. Goodbye, guys. Thank you.